Eric Siever is a regular guy with a beautiful fiance, a day job, transcribing autopsy reports, and a bloody, terrified woman tied up in the backseat of his car. Eric Siever is a serial killer. His rage is ferocious, fueled by a childhood of abuse he suffered at the hands of his brutal stepfather. As his killing spree escalates, Eric's mind spirals deep into an abyss of pain and madness far beyond help or salvation. With every terrifying encounter, it becomes clear that love can be destroyed in the hatred of a minute. Produced by Bruce Campbell, Michael Calio, co-wrote, directed, and stars in this graphic, psychological chiller that shocked film festival audiences around the world and is now presented completely uncut, uncensored, and loaded with exclusive DVD extras. I'm Corey. And I'm Paul. And we are the, the B-Movie Bros. Bros. Here we review low-budget films as critically and intelligent as we possibly can. Sometimes we get off topic, but randomness is a gift. So this week we bring you the 1995 filmed 2003 released movie, Hatred of a Minute. And I just want to say right off the back, I am... I have to credit this movie with having the balls to criticize the oppressive 60-second interval known as the minute. I have Every year, I try to get a law passed where we completely get rid of it, and it gets completely ignored. So finally, a film comes along and has the guts to say, fuck that system. We need to get rid of it. That's kind of like people trying to get rid of the penny. Like It's fuck useless. But it's there, and it's going to be there. I just—it's been around for. I mean, if we didn't have minutes, what would we do with seconds? Fuck seconds too. I just—I'm ready for a new system, a more liberating set. I believe like, they call 60 that. Sixty is so. I, I believe they call that sloppy seconds when you fuck second. You know, fuck it. I just—I—it's. We need to have something more embraced, like maybe a hundred seconds. I mean, this system's been around for like thousands of years since the ancient Sumerians. I'm ready for a change. So. You heard what was on the back of the box. On the cover, it, it's pretty simple. It's a black and white, white, grainy photo of a man walking down the railroad tracks. And above him, superimposed, there's like these creepy eyeballs. And it, um, all the writing is, in completely, is completely in blood red. It says, obviously, hatred of a minute. Uh, don't let your past ruin your future. And it says, Bruce Campbell presents... So, yeah, it's all supposed to be really scary, obviously, reference to blood and the color. So, I, I didn't know what to expect when I first saw this movie. I had this movie, this is one of the first movies I got that was R-rated. So, many years ago, I used to watch it all the time. It was like a cycle between this movie and John Carpenter's The Thing, which, other than being rated R, have nothing in common. Yeah, when I saw the cover of this and heard the name, I was expecting it to be a guy murdering people with the minute hand of a clock. And that's not quite what I got out of this. So let's just jump right into it. Let's, let's give a little bit of a talk about the characters, which is actually going to be a big part of this show. Um, this is a very character-centric movie. Yeah, the main character was Eric Seaver, who had a very traumatizing past. And the movie was basically just about him, how he reacted to what happened in his past, how he how he looked at the world and what he ended up doing as a result of it. It was this is all completely psychological and it's all about like how basically how abuse affects a child and how that child grows up and 
how it, it really stays in him. E- even if you bury it, there's always that trigger that can come along and force you back into what you hated. Exactly. And, and that's what happens to Eric here. You to know, an extreme. He's living a normal life. He's got a fiance that loves him. Her, her name is Jamie in this movie. They live together. She's a student. He makes his living as an autopsy transcriber, which is, I guess, a fairly new job to him, as they reference throughout the movie. He's also a a fiction writer, so... A screenwriter. Yeah, screenwriter. So his um, autopsy reporting is supposed to be... um, It's supposed to give him motivation and... Inspiration. um, Inspiration. Which just kind of comes off as really a bad idea for somebody with a lot of trauma having to read all the really graphic reports and how he got into that job is he has a friend who just became a detective detective glenn who always seems to be doing not detective work he, he's riding around in patrol cars and ordering around the uniformed officers which really isn't detective work or lurking around corners spying on eric yeah, that's like a really weird movie thing and television thing where they don't actually know what detectives do, so they basically make them cops that also investigate. So it, it, that's been used so many times. And Glenn has a wife, Sarah. At least I think she's his wife. Some woman that he lives with, at least. And uh, she has a little bearing on the story. But that, that, that rounds out our characters, actually. But they, they all revolve around... Eric. Yeah. This this the movie was really about Eric and the other characters were supplementary. Kind of, yeah, supplementary really. I think Paul had a little something he wanted to say about Eric. Um Eric was basically just completely deranged. He was um I, it's really hard to break him down cuz it was um well, think about those old Looney Tune cartoons where you have Elmer Fudd and he's trying to decide what to do. On one shoulder, he's got the little poof angel that's like, do the good thing, do the good thing. And on the other side, poof, he's got the devil and it's like, murder the fucking rabbit, kill. And he's like, I don't know what to do. And that's this movie in a nutshell. You imagine that little skit as like a really messed up horror movie and you've basically figured it out. Because throughout the movie, Eric has two men that kind of follow him around or appear whenever he's going through some kind of emotional struggle. There's Mike, who's supposed to be his conscience, who's this like kind of small, meek kind of man. Very soft-spoken. Yeah, very soft-spoken, very... Um, down-to-earth kind of reasons with him whenever he's right before he he commits one of his murders he's there to say i'm here to stop you or you can stop this i mean you know he's the good guy he's got a western style leather coat exactly It's it's got like tassels all over it and shit exactly he's all american but every time he's there saying you know don't let your past just destroy your future and he's really he's that part of i actually threw in the movie i didn't realize he was in Eric's head for the longest time, but... Because he talks about him as a normal person. Yeah, pretty much. And he says, like, don't let your past destroy your future, and he really... He's that little part part in Eric's head that sees the world for how it is, so he's not completely deranged. But as the movie goes on, it's really interesting. It becomes more meek, 
more like sullen and really cause as things are going on he's just kind of in the background looking more sad he and gets like, very suppressed by yeah, eric pretty much and it was it was an interesting kind of symbolism that in, they had inversely you have jack who was bald very pale skinned very ghostly like in appearance but always wearing all black to symbolize jack's inner demon or not jack's inner demon but eric's inner demon and anytime there's something bad going on he would like motion he wouldn't talk and the one time he did maybe make sound it was like a warped record being scratched back and forth like very eerie sounds there had to have been some kind of symbolism in him not talking i think it was that, that was the part of him that was just acting it was his that like, was what he wanted to suppress yeah, exactly but it was just like this was his overwhelming personality like it was obvious that eric was more jack than mike and it was basically that was because of all the abuse he had been through. This is his default personality, and it was like he all he had to do was point and like wave his hand, and Eric would just do. And it was just he, I think that with Mike being there, it was more that Mike was showing that he needed somebody to talk to. He needed psychological help that he wasn't getting. And, and as you see less and less of Michael, you see more and more of Jack. And it just shows how he goes from being this good, average, everyman to this psychotic killer. He, he loses his good and gains evil. So that's – it's a deep – he's a deep character. Yeah, every other character is kind of like – was there to support that one character and kind of – show you who he was and help in his unwinding yeah basically so let's get into our i'm lost for words tonight fuck hold on the movie was just that psychological we're all we're, we're so, damaged yeah well then again we watch b movies yeah so let's get into technical this difficulties is an interesting one it will shed more light on the, the characters in the movie as we go through these um, technical difficulties are top three and bottom three of this movie. Let's start off with our bottom three. Let's get that out of the way. Paul, what were the three worst things you found in this movie? Well, for number three, it's real obvious by the title that this was supposed to be a scathing criticism of the minute system. And I really don't feel that they really got the message across of how just fucked up the little 60-second interval system we've we've had for thousands of years is it was too cryptic just be upfront. like i appreciate them taking up the cause but come on most people aren't going to see through all the symbolism to really get that i mean i do because i am i'm part of the team i've been standing in the front lines of this fight for a long time but i just think for the average person they just wouldn't have gotten it that's number three of my bottom what in the shit are you talking about, crazy fuck? It's the minute system. It just bothers me so much. I, I don't. I think you're grasping at straws. I think that you just don't understand. Number two. Number two, I would have to say that, well, here for this movie, it's a little different because every other criticism I have is not really a criticism. It's more I personally would have done things differently differently for example um um eric lived most of his life um 
pretty normal from what I can tell. After he left his parents' um, house, he grew up, he got a job, he got a fiance, he made friends, he was pretty well sociable. And then it wasn't until his mother died and he saw his stepfather again that he started killing. And I completely understand where the movie came from. Basically, his mother's death was the last straw when he saw how his stepfather got to live after his mother did, how his mother's death meant it's, that she was free from his abuse. It, w- it symbolized everything he, was, he, was, um, he planned to do. And he, um, he then started viewing life as, well, he viewed it as a child, but more so after that, life was hell. And death was an escape from this hell. So murdering people was giving them a relief. So I get that. But it did seem like this guy was pretty well together until that point. I just feel like there would have – I don't think he would have been as well adjusted just personally. But I do see where they were coming from that. Which he he viewed his life as hell when he was growing up. He even said in the movie, growing up in hell, imagination is the only thing to keep you sane. And that's true. But, like, they show his – so when he was a kid, he saw Mike and – the uh, demon Jack. Uh, Jack, Jack, and the pumpkin king, <laughs> and they really didn't do much except they were just kind of there. And it wasn't until later that he just kind of went nuts, which I get it, but I personally would have liked to see more when he was a kid, when he was a teenager. How did these things kind of come out? Because I personally believe that there would have it wouldn't have just been an all of a sudden thing but i see where they were going through and i it's not really a criticism it's just more i would have done things a little bit differently number 1 and for number 1 i'm going to have to go with he seemed to pick his victims very arbitrarily he seemed to um like at one point he just meets this woman at a restaurant she was the uh, waitress and he just kind of talks to her he somehow knows that she knows that she was being abused by her boyfriend which i get it he was insane but like he had nothing to go off except she got a black fight. eye Th- did she really have a black eye there the lighting was terrible it was really hard to see that she had a black eye i, I actually to be honest it seemed like she it had was a black eye 1995 the sun was dim but they showed a black eye after he started imagining her saying he's been hitting me and it's like so it really showed that they a lot of these people probably weren't abused because after a while he starts like kind of making sh- like just going with things like when he murders his uh, friend's wife she goes well you go read these reports all the time must be hell free i'm like oh like I get it, like why, like he chose to kill her to save her from the suffering of life, but that was kind of forced and everything. So it seemed like a lot of these were really arbitrary. I mean, it's just a personal criticism. I thought the movie was really good overall, but that's just something that I thought could have been developed a little bit better. And that's it for my list. Well, for me, the bottom three of this movie, number three was like you said before, movies always come up for whatever reason with detectives doing things that detectives really don't do in real life they make them like super cop like they do regular patrol officer things and then some and it bugs me when they do things like that he's a detective he should be doing detective work not riding around in patrol cars and you know everything else we look at movies like doctors are also surgeons half the time like they never they don't know how actual professions work so um number two whenever he finds the murdered 
um, whore from the bar that tries to rape Eric. I mean, totally justified. He murdered her after she tried raping him, but, you know, in today's society... Well, I mean, he could have... She's, like, he said no. Tall, and, she's, like, four feet tall. He said no. She's, like, jumping on him and, and putting his her lips all over him, and he's, like, pushing her away, saying, no, I don't want this, and she's still coming at him. I mean, that's... That's not right, okay? And that kind of goes to my but criticism, anyway, like... Uh, that's, not, that, that's not what I was talking about. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting to my point. Okay, okay. She gets murdered with a tool that Eric's fiance was using for painting. It was a straight razor. Now, when she was using it, she was painting red on the painting that she was painting. Then Eric murdered her, okay? Cut her throat. Blood is red. Well, Detective Glenn comes up takes one look at the body and goes, what's this? Reaches into her gaping neck wound and pulls out a, sl- a speck of paint that's yellow. Okay. Red paint plus red blood does not equal yellow paint. Inconsistencies. Well, I'm not a marine biologist, so I wouldn't know. It may or may not have a neck. Number one. The movie, at times, it looks like it's on acid. It's having a bad trip. You're just seeing flashes of this and that, and they're trying to jumble together to make sense, which kind of do, but at the same time, it it distracts you from what's going on, which might be the goal in the long run. I just don't like it. This was a very stylized movie. It was very dark. It was very atmospheric. It was everything shown to you was meant to kind of paint the mood of and it's actually inner mind. less stylized than it was originally supposed to be originally um eric C- not eric siever but michael calio who played eric siever wanted to shoot every character who was focused on in a different film he wanted to use 16 millimeter film for one character nine or eight millimeter for another character black and white for one character um, I forget what other kind, but he wanted every character when it was their focus scene to be a different kind of film used, which, again, symbolism. It sounds like it would have been a huge pain in the ass, and very few people would have noticed it. Well, like, it, it was supposed most people to, don't have an expertise in that kind of stuff. It was supposed to be a, um, a cheap way to do the filming because he had all these different extra film stocks from other things he'd done. Okay, that's um, But I think it was Bruce Campbell actually talked him out of doing that and just going straight with one type of film. And when Bruce Campbell tells you something, you listen. Because if chins could kill, his surely would. So let's get into our top three about this movie. Paul, why don't you kick us off? What's your top three things about this movie? I'd say for number three, it was definitely the dark atmosphere. There was so much going on. There was constantly things on screen that were flashing or um, just dark and it was very it was very cool to watch it was very it's like you're watching some kind of art film but you kind of understood it like it wasn't trying to be pretentious it just had a lot to say and i i like the just in general the way that it was made you know you say the darkness the dark tone of the film or what what did you say the dark atmosphere yeah the dark and all i can think of is the darkness i believe in a thing called love just listen to the rhythm of my heart there's a chance we can make it now. When we go until the sun goes down. I believe in a thing called love. Anyways. Ooh, ooh. So, yeah. Guitar. 
and it was really it was really well put because um, it really symbolized at every point whenever something was going on, it really was how he was feeling, and I thought they did a very good job of that. As far as like the look of this movie, I really didn't have any complaints. Number two is the dialogue. I didn't think the acting was particularly great, but the dialogue was really good and made up for the acting, to be perfectly honest. Like, for example, none of the... In, in a lot of movies, even um, Hollywood movies, half the dialogue is just to get the person from point A to point B. It may not even make any sense, but it's so that everyone will be where they need to be or in the mood that they'll, they, they need to be in, be in. Like, they'll be mad for, like, no reason, but because they need to be mad at that scene. This movie, everything flowed really well. It sounded like real conversations going on, and every and everything fl- like, um, was able to flow um really without any problems and that was really impressive it was obviously took a lot of time and a lot of detail into each line that was written and, and it's I, funny because the, the the lines in this movie and the dialogue is very simple and very concise but it has such a great message in how they utilize it and how they have characters interacting with each other there's one part where the detective is talking to eric and eric says something like if you read the story of Cain and Abel, and rather than saying something words you would expect from most movies, like, no, I haven't, or yes, I have, he just kind of looks to the side like, fuck's this guy talking about? And like he he didn't really need to say anything. It was just it was a it was a point where dialogue wasn't necessary and the the people who made this movie understood that sometimes silence speaks better than words. So dialogue spot on. I had no complaints about that whatsoever. That's why it's one of your top three. Indeed. And for number one, I just really liked the idea of this movie, just the psychological struggles that Eric went through, how he viewed the world. He viewed um, living as hell, therefore murder was a way of escaping from the hell that he was born into and everyone else was born into. Like, he saw every woman, basically, that he saw, he saw as his mother. He's kind of like a Norman Bates um, only if Norman Bates leaves the motel. And he saw them as as suffering, and he needed to save them. And I thought that was... It was really interesting. There's so much symbolism in this movie. And this movie has an incredible amount of rewatch value. I've only seen it once, but, like, just talking to you and things you've seen from multiple views of it, it seems like I'll pick up on different things each time I'll see it. And that's really... That's really impressive to do in a movie, especially a lower-budget movie. Yeah, I was telling my wife last night when I watched this movie to get extra things for the show that um, I've probably seen this movie between 10 and 15 times. Wow. At at least. Um, Just because it was one of those movies that I would watch all the time, you know, being young and not having a, a huge video library that I do today. Um, it was one of my go-to flicks. So my top three, number three, is the, the determination to get this film released. It was originally filmed in 1995. That's 20 years ago. The movie didn't get released until 2002. That's seven years. That's really impressive. From pre-production to release, it took this movie a total of nine years to get made, mostly due to budget constraints. 
Um, but just the determination for this movie to get made is just fantastic, and I have to applaud that. And the final product really shows that they were all in for this movie, and they cared about it. And I love that in a movie, when you can tell that somebody really cared enough to put their heart and soul into it and get it released with whatever it took. Yeah, these were not guys who did their homework last minute in um, study hall or, like, right before class. These guys are hard workers, much harder worker than I am. Number two, the quality and consistency of the story. I really can't find any fault with any of the dialogue, the story, how things progress. Everything seems spot on. And it just keeps me wanting to see what's going to happen next. It keeps me coming back for more. I don't really think there are any plot holes in this movie either. And it's one of the reasons that this was one of my go-to movies. I would go back and watch it over and over because I enjoyed it and there was always something new to learn from it. And finally, number one for me was the fact that there is symbolism everywhere in this movie. You stole mine. The lighting symbolizes things. He, when he murders, when he makes his first murder, he goes to the river and washes his hands like a baptism. Jack and Michael represent good and evil within Eric. At one point, when he kills someone, a candle blows out. You can see a tiny noose hanging when he walks into the basement. There's just symbolism everywhere. And if I give it all away, then you have no reason to go see this movie. And I really want you to go see this movie. Like, it's one of those things, if you can find it, if you can get your hands on it, I don't know, maybe you can digitally rent it. Watch it. Watch it at least once. Please. And those are my top three for this movie. So, you know, you think the dialogue is good. How about we get into a quote war? Quote war. Faggot. You want to go first on this one? All right. The next time I come home and see this shit, I'll bury you alive. By Barry. You transcribe transcribe um, autopsy tapes, and you haven't got it. Got any motive? You haven't got any motivation. Oh, by Glenn. It would be nice to know if I had to change the wedding plans to funeral plans. By Jamie. Do you know how much I love you? I'd die for you. That's how much I love you. Where's that slut mother of yours? Again, by Barry. It's funny how you've never done anything wrong. Wrong, You can get away with murder. By Eric. And that ends this edition of Quote Wars. You know, don't forget to tweet us at Bros, all one word, and tell us which quote was the best and who won this episode's Quote War. Or you can find us on Facebook at our Facebook page, Bros. You know, uh... I'd really like to hear somebody say something. I I don't care if you tell us we suck. Just, you know, get on there and give us some input. So, uh, this movie was made on a budget of $25,000. That's that's the only other thing I have to say about this before we get into anything else. That in itself is really impressive. They had really no budget at all. And again, going back to, like my standard the evil dead made in 1979 with a budget of three hundred thousand dollars this was made in 1995 with a budget of twenty five thousand dollars 
You take into the account consideration inflation. This movie was made on, on peanuts compared to like caviar with the Evil Dead. And the Evil Dead is like a standard of what is a low budget movie and what you can do with it. So that that's fantastic. Like I, I I can't praise this movie anymore. How about how about we just is, is there anything else you want to say? Or or should we just go to our final take? I think we covered just about everything. Alright, final take. This is uh let's see, on your score on a score of one to ten, Paul. On our shot scale, for those of you that can't remember or don't know or are first joining us, our shot scale is a reverse scale, 1 to 10, 1 being the best, 10 being the worst. How many shots do you need to take to get through this movie? Just a number score, Paul. What do you give it? For number score, I'd give it a 2 out of 10. I have to go a little further and say a 3 out of 10. Now, why do you say 2 out of 10 in 90 seconds or less? This movie is definitely worth watching i think everybody who's has an interest in psychological movies and horror movies should see it it's definitely has really a lot of going on in it it definitely it keeps you interested the whole time my only the only thing really wrong with it is some of it was a little too cryptic and you really you're left some of the times being like wait is this all in his head or what so upon another view of it when i knew I know what to expect. I think it would be a little bit different, but having only seen it once, I would have to say that it was a little bit confusing. I liked it. I thought it was very well made, but just not really understanding where they were getting at was a little odd for me, and it just I could have done with uh, with them being a little bit more direct, which is actually the, the opposite of the criticism I give most movies. Um, so that's why Paul gives it a 2 out of 10 I, I have to say Hatred of a Minute it's a serious psychological thriller we see a man spiral from an average everyman into a psychotic killer it has great writing and a copious amount of symbolism that keeps you coming back for more time and time again this movie gets a little crazy at times and I think a couple drinks can help you keep your sanity and that's why I give it a 3 out of 10. I, I really can't say anything else about this movie. I mean, you really don't need to drink through it. It's an awesome movie. I think the drinks might help you make some more connections if you're that kind of person, like I am. And that's why. So in other words, find this movie and watch it. Definitely worth the time. So, uh... That's uh, mostly it for this movie. Let's, uh, let's, I, I know not everybody likes to watch the same kind of shit that we do. So we'd like to give you another movie, an A movie, as a companion to this movie. So we're going to give you an A movie companion for Hatred of a Minute. Now, I'm going to give mine. Paul's going to give his. You can tell us which is better at B-Movie Bros on Twitter, all one word, or on our Facebook page at B-Movie Bros. So... I'll let Paul go first this time for his companion. Don't mind if I do. For my A-movie companion, I'm going to go with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Now, this is the fifth movie in the Harry Potter um, franchise. franchise. And I really don't need to describe the movies, you know. Orphan kid lives under a staircase, becomes a wizard, blah, blah, blah. Y'all know the plot. 
And if you don't, well, there's something wrong with you. Anyways, this movie was very much like Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, specifically that movie. In Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Harry was really tormented by his past, not only from being abused as a child, but in the previous movie, he saw another kid being murdered by his arts nemesis, Lord Voldemort. Oh no, Edward is dead! Fuck off! (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) Anyways, so... Harry was really tormented by that. He was real angry throughout most of the movie, and... A lot of it was about how he was dealing with his experiences. A lot of people didn't believe him. He was um, lashing out at everyone around him. He was tormented by uh, Lord Voldemort, who was psychologically fucking him up through some magic mumbo-jumbo. It's a long movie. And it was very much like Eric, who, from things in his past, was tormented by um, both Mike and Jack, who were... They may have been completely fabricated by his own consciousness, but they were still um, they were still they were still messing with how he was able to conduct his life. They're making him do things he normally wouldn't do, and I do have to say that Jack looked so much like Voldemort. It was like Voldemort with a with a a nose. It was not to mention, as you find out in De- Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows that Harry is actually a part of Voldemort. Voldemort is a part of Harry. And Jack and Michael are both a part of Eric, and Eric is a part of them. It's true. Plus, in both, uh, as both characters go, at least in that particular Harry Potter movie or book, they both kind of had these hero complexes. They thought that basically everything was up to them, that... They needed to save everybody, and it basically led to everything becoming worse. For example, Harry um, thought that he needed to stop uh, Voldemort from finding this prophecy, which ended up he that was exactly what they wanted him to do, and it led to his godfather dying. And as far as Eric goes, he thought that he was saving people by murdering them, and then he murdered them. So it was very... In those... In those ways, it was very similar. So if anyone followed that fucked up logic there... That was good logic. Fuck you. Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. That was really good logic. I made a very good case for that. And what what year was that movie made? Fuck if I know. (laughs) Now, for my A movie companion, I have to uh, go with Faust. The 1926 movie directed by F.W. Murnau. And there are several reasons. One, both movies showcase a man who's at his pinnacle, falling from his precipice into utter darkness. In Faust, a respected member of the community becomes a fugitive, just like Eric. He falls for the trickery of the devil, doing the devil's bidding in in order to get what he wants, just like Eric. Both men struggle with their inner darkness and weigh their worth against the worth of those around them, finally deciding to give in to the pleasures that the darkness gives them. Faust lets Mephisto, lets the devil, give him what he wants in order to feel good about himself and to finally get that woman that he would like to have. Eric murders people 
to make himself feel better, to feel like he has a purpose, and to free these people from the binds of mortality and the hell that is their life. And in the end, they both try to repent. Eric by killing himself. Spoilers. And Faust by asking for forgiveness for his sins. And they both do it for love. Faust for the woman that he used the powers of evil to kidnap and marry. And Eric for Jamie. For love, they repent their evil ways. And that's why Faust from 1926 is an A-movie version of Hatred of a Minute. Mine is better. Maybe if you can read. Book. Came from a book. Well, actually... Yeah, so did Faust. So did Faust. So, yeah. God. You know what? Just, just drink away the flick. Drink away the flick. Come on and grab your drink. Let's drink away the flick. So we're going to give you a couple drinking games here to help you get through this movie if, you, if it's as fucked up as you think it is, and we are. And uh, here we go. From me, number one. Every time there's a flashback, take a drink. Number two. Anytime the imaginary friend, a.k.a. Jack, appears, take a drink. Number three. Every time it's, quote-unquote, the car ride, take a drink. Believe me, if you watch the movie, you'll know what the car ride is. And number four, of course, anytime someone dies, take a drink. Paul? Every time you see Bruce Campbell, take a drink. Every time you see blood splattered in a symbolic way, take a drink. And every time something happens and you can't help but make a pun or a joke, take a drink. And those are your ways to... Drink away this flick. Uh, I think that's it for this week. Uh, all I have to say is, um, you know, the, the main character of this movie was Eric Seaver. The movie we're watching next week and talking to you about comes from the mind of Chris Seaver, who is uh, quite famous in the B-movie world and quite hated, kind of like the Polonia brothers, for making movies that uh, people just think are utter shit. That we love. And um, so what we're watching next week and talking to you about is Death Bone, Third Blood, Part 7. The Blood of Death Bone from the year 2011. It is a uh, barbarian action comedy movie, I think. And uh, we'll get into a little bit more about that next time. So, all I have to say is, uh, until next time, be brave, be alive, and be back next week.